that's where I experience my clients feeling that joy, feeling that fulfillment, feeling that inspiration and, and desire all the way back on because they're alive now. They're not just numbing and sleepwalking and coping. They've, they've been awake. They've become aware. They've aligned. They've anchored. And now they can become alive. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. in today, I have an important announcement I don't want you to miss. In just a few days, we are opening for a limited time early bird pricing on our Prepare to Publish program, which starts in May of this year. We rarely, if ever, offer discounts on this program because demand is so high, but that is exactly why I wanted to make sure those of you who are listening here get first dibs. Prepare to Publish is our online three-month program to help authors get a book proposal document written. And listen, if you don't know what a book proposal document is, think of this like your business plan for your book. And also, more importantly, this is your golden ticket into the publishing industry. You can't get the attention of a great agent, reach out to a publisher, or really get anyone in the industry to take you seriously without this document. And even if you're not planning to traditionally publish your book, Or if you're not sure yet what you want to do, I always recommend an author start with a book proposal document before they begin writing their book, simply because it will make the writing process easier and the finished product stronger. That said, the obstacle of a book proposal document is almost insurmountable for so many authors I meet, especially new authors, simply because, let's be honest, it's an overwhelming document. The document can be between 30 to 50 pages. And so many authors see the elements of this book proposal document, and they're just like, no thanks, this is not for me. Not only that, but get this, one of our team members at Find Your Voice came to us from a major publisher where her job was to receive the proposal documents that came in, read them, review them, and pass the good ones on to the acquisitions editors, the ones who can actually make a decision about what books to publish. She told me that over 90% of the documents that come in the door go in the garbage before they even make it to a decision maker. That's 90%. That means you have only a 10% chance that your hard work doesn't go in the garbage. And this is the kicker. She told me that it's not really that these book ideas are bad necessarily. It's just that the book proposal documents are poorly done. They're not finished. They're not ready. This is why we created Prepare to Publish. Prepare to Publish offers three months of guided coaching specific one-on-one feedback on your work, group Q&A calls, a guided workbook, weekly videos delivered directly to you from yours truly, and so much more to make sure that your idea is the absolute best it can be before you sit down to start writing. We've helped thousands of authors through this process, and we can help you too. Typically, P2P costs $1,749 to participate for three months. But if you sign up now, 
you'll get the whole program for $14.99. That's $1,499. If you're bad at math, like I am, $250 off of the original price. And not only that, but get this. You'll also get additional one-on-one coaching call with our creative director, Annie, who I told you about before. She has read thousands of book proposal documents and knows what's up when it comes to ones publishers actually want to see. Your program includes a completion call with her anyway, where she can review the work that you've done. But with this early bird rate, you also get an intro call with her. And this call can be a game changer in your ability to get the absolute most out of the three months of coaching. You'll never have to sit around wondering if your idea is really a good one. You'll be set to go from the very beginning. These calls typically cost $250. So if you're doing the math with me, again, you're getting a value add of $500 for free, not only the discount on the course of $250, but also this free call with Annie. So don't miss this opportunity to join us for our only P2P program happening in 2020. Yes, you heard me right. This is our only P2P program we're doing this year. Go to findyourvoice.com slash publish to get your $500 discount now. Seats are limited. And again, this is the only time we're doing this class this year. Don't wait to join us. We'll see you in class. Hi, writers. Today on this very first official episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I have a special treat for you because I interview my friend and also total badass entrepreneur, podcaster, healer, and so many other things, Mary Hyatt. One of the things I love about Mary is that Mary believes every person has the ability to create the life that they love. She's proven this to me through her own life, and she's also believed this about me over the course of the five years that we've known each other. She lives in the heart of Nashville, and her days are spent juggling the roles of holistic lifestyle advocate as a blue diamond wellness advocate with doTERRA essential oils and also a personal life and business coach. She helps her clients wake up, find their voice, and become fully alive. You're going to find this to be true as you listen today. She's going to help you do these same things too. One thing I want to make sure that you know is that you can join her every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time on her Facebook Live show, where she dives into raw topics and helps her audience fall back in love with themselves and discover their true potential. I think you're in for a huge treat today with this conversation with Mary because we cover so many different topics that are going to help you get unstuck, not only in your writing, but also in your life. Mary and I talk about authenticity. We talk about how to make more space for yourself in your life. We talk about the three practical tools Mary used to completely transform her life during a time of crisis. Mary shares some super practical writing exercises that she used and you can use right away that have created dramatic change for her and for her clients. She talks about how to overcome limiting beliefs. We talk together about how you can use your thoughts to your advantage. She talks about why journaling is one of the most powerful things you can do to reshape the way you see yourself in the world. And we even touch on the fact that Mary is working on a book. In fact, one of the things that Mary says is nothing creates self-awareness like the act of writing. So you can see why I love Mary so much, why I'm so excited about this interview and why I can't wait to share it with you. Mary is strong, confident, warm, helpful, and one of the smartest women I know. And I'm so grateful to get to share this interview with you. You're going to love it. Okay, let's dive right in. Hello, hello, Mary. Hey girl, how's it going? 
It's so good. I'm so pumped to be here with you. Oh, this is like a dream come true when you get to do these kinds of things with people that you just know really well and love and are like good friends. So fun. It's so fun. And you're going to be a perfect fit for this. I know our listeners are just going to love you and everything you have to say. So I can't wait. Yay. The question I start off with is what does it mean to you to find your voice? Mm, What a perfect question to start with. (laughs) Perfect for you too, right? This is so great. I was going to say like our desires are so well aligned and like what we love to talk about. It's so fun. But for me, finding your voice, let me just think about that for a second, because I think it really is a unique thing for each person, because I believe that we each have our own unique voice. And obviously we have our physical voice, right? Like our cadence and our resonance and the sound of our voice and all of that. And yet I think as women, we have been just encouraged and taught and sort of, um, shall I say manipulated (laughs) into, into, yeah, I feel like that's an appropriate (laughs) word. That's a fair word. Um, like, uh, quieting our voice. We've been sort of encouraged to quiet ourselves. And I think that is a more of a symbolic kind of phrase of quieting. I don't think that means necessarily that our tone goes down or our cadence changes. Although sometimes I think that can be a, a, just a natural byproduct. But I think what that looks like is when we don't have our voice, when we haven't found our voice, I think what happens is, is we end up speaking from somebody else's point of view, somebody else's belief system, somebody else's value system. And we aren't tuned in to who it is that we truly are. And so to me, when we, when we get to that place where we do enough inner work to find our own voice, that is where we have a resonance with our soul, where our, our voice, our words, our beliefs, our priorities, what we say yes to, what we're able to speak to and sort of our purpose on this planet starts to align with our soul's purpose for this planet. And so finding our own voice is being, I think for me, like willing to speak from a place that is just authentic and true to who we are, where we are able to say yes when we really want to say yes, instead of saying yes, when we want to say no, it's like having appropriate, healthy boundaries. That would be a, a, beautiful place of, um, tangibly what it looks like to have found your voice where it's like, you're not afraid of disappointing people or upsetting people, but you're able to speak your truth. And that is a, a short answer, I think, to what probably could be a really long conversation. But to me, it's, it's being in alignment with who you are with that authentic self and speaking your truth from that place. Such a good answer. And I, one of the things I loved that you touched on was how when we don't know our own voice, we have this tendency to take on or adopt the voices of other people. And I know that that can happen. I know from personal experience that it can happen sometimes without us even really realizing that that's something we're doing. We might experience other quote symptoms of that, but we don't, we don't, we wouldn't necessarily say like, I've adopted the voice of popular culture or I've adopted the voice of my religious community or whatever. Um, which it, so it makes me think of the point in life in which we met Mary, because this feels important to the conversation that we, you and I connected pretty much months before, um, 
maybe two months before both of us ended our marriages um, in different ways and for different reasons. But that was a time in life for both of us, I think, where we each were having this realization that we hadn't been really being authentic to who we truly were. So talk to me a little bit about that time in your life. And I might call it like a waking up point, but what, what was it about that time that helped to wake you up? Yeah. So, you know, rewind and I grew up in the South. So I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been raised in the South all my life and I have four sisters and growing up, there was a Southern culture that basically said, this is sort of the trajectory of every woman, which is you get married young, you have babies, you support your husband, and all of life is lovely and a Martha Stewart catalog, you know. And I was like really excited about that. <laughs> I mean, I was really on the Martha Stewart train, you know. I was like, great, I'm going to. You've got some I, good Martha Stewart skills. I mean, you can put together a buff- totally, flower bouquet. Totally. <laughs> you know, here's what's so funny, side note. In fifth grade, my 4-H project was how to set a table. Like I literally taught how to set a table. I was reading etiquette books when I was younger. Yeah. It was, it was very entrenched in my psyche to play the traditional feminine role. And so what that looked like Mm -hmm. is anything that fell outside of the lines of a traditional feminine role were looked down upon, they were discouraged, they were quieted. And so I, to the public, to my parents, to people that, that would know me from, um, or other adults that would know me, I looked like the perfect model for that. I mean, I, I did, I followed it to a T, I did all Mm -hmm. the right things and behind the scenes, I was rebelling a little bit, but of course I had a lot of guilt and shame around that because I wasn't being a good girl. I wasn't being a good woman. So fast Mm -hmm. forward, I did end up getting married at the age of 20, started dating at the age of uh, 18, got married at 20. I can remember so vividly like having this gorgeous, I mean, when you talk about Southern wedding, like hydrangeas, like massive budget, every little detail thought of, I mean, it was just like the perfect wedding. And I experienced this discord immediately. I mean, I remember being on my honeymoon and thinking to myself, like, I already felt imprisoned. I already felt trapped. I already felt like there's something off here, but I was, you know, I had to stay on script. I had to continue the trajectory of, of the expectations of everyone else for my life. And even just culturally, like a woman's life or woman's role. And so as I went through my marriage, it became very evident that this was this was not going to work as far as who I thought I had to be. And I spent about, I would say, like a good six years or so inside of that marriage just being the good wife, doing the right things, saying the right things, taking care of this, taking care of that, showing up in these certain ways. And for me, I remember reading Brene Brown's book, uh, but I read Daring Greatly and a big premise of the book, she's talking about authenticity. And I can remember I was at the beach mm. and I was reading this book and I remember thinking like, what is authenticity? Like I, I knew in my soul mm-hmm. that I was not who I really was, like who I was behaving as, who I was showing up as wasn't 
it like just didn't feel right. It just w- was out of sync, but I just sort of thought that was just how it, how it went and there wasn't really another option. And so when she presented this idea that, no, there is this true self where you stop performing for other people, you stop people pleasing for other people. And I thought, what? Like there's an option here. I don't have to continue to live this way. And it wasn't really even about my marriage at that point. It was just who I had become, who I was pretending to be. And that was a giant wake up call for me. That was sort of the, the seed that was being planted that, oh, I might be living from an inauthentic place. And there might be a version of myself that I could live from that would give me peace that would allow me to feel free and ultimately help me stay in line with my my purpose and my joy. And it was a slow journey into beginning to live out of that authentic place. It was a lot of trial and error and having to really find who I was because I had spent my entire life sort of shape-shifting or being the chameleon and just being whatever anybody wanted me to be. And it took a while and a lot of bravery to come back home to, to my true authentic self. Uh, but mm. that, that book, that concept, I think that was that moment of sort of the, the initial wake up for me. I want to talk a little bit about the how, because I'm imagining if there are people who are listening, who are like, I would prefer not to be like, not to completely turn my life upside down and have to go through this massive change or lose my yeah. marriage or lose my job or whatever it is. Yeah. What are some of the practical and I know the answer to this because I've walked this journey with you, but I know there have been a ton of really practical, simple steps that you've taken that, you know, I mean, some of them had to be more drastic or dramatic when you are, are moving through your life. And there comes a point where, you know, you're out of alignment and it suddenly becomes more painful for things Mm -hmm. to stay the same than for them to change. You make those choices, but what are some of like the more simple practical steps you took along the way that helped you develop the resilience. To yeah. Well, and at first I would say, I think you're absolutely right. You don't have to dismantle your whole life to find who you are. I don't think you are always asked on this journey to get rid of every piece of what is your life as you know it today. So, you know, it's like for my journey, it was such a gift to be able to walk through a journey of releasing things that really didn't fit in the first place that I was trying to force to fit. And those things were able to, um, to sort of release because they really, it was like, it wasn't a true fit to begin with. And, and so that's kind of how I think about that more than it was sort of blowing up my life. It was like, oh, I've been like trying to make this thing like, you know, square peg round hole kind of situation and it didn't fit. And now I can stop with all this effort to try to make it fit because it's literally like, it doesn't, it doesn't compute. It doesn't equate. Um, so I think that's important. Were those things, were those things immediately obvious to you? Like, were you like, Oh, I really need to change this circle of friends or Um, I need to, I think on a gut level it was, but I don't think I was willing to admit it yet because I think that it's scary Mm. to think about having to change things. And again, I had constructed a life that from the outside looking in looked like it was perfect. And it was pleasing to my parents. It was pleasing to my family, to my friends, to people who knew me. And I doubled down, you know, I had created a life. And so mm-hmm. I think on a gut level, I'd always known it. And I wasn't willing to be honest with myself until probably a few years later. But it was definitely like, yeah, 
that, you know, have you ever had that moment where something sort of whispered to you from someplace internal and then you're like, no, 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 not ready. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, like I'm good. Yep. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. Quiet, quiet. Um, that's how I felt like I was. It was just like, shh, you know, like, I'm like, not, I don't, I do not want to go there. Yeah. Um, and that is, that was, I knew, I knew, I mean, I knew from the day I got married, you know, that it was like a gut thing. And yet, you know, it's like all that pressure and the invitations are sent out yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, I can make this work. Totally. Because there yeah. is a level of awareness that I didn't have at the time that I wasn't consciously thinking about it. And I think that so often in life we do, we just think we can make it work. We think we can, um, figure out again, sort of shape shift and control ourselves, make, make it, um, almost like go into a place of denial or disassociation. Sure. And we do that subconsciously. I don't think we're ever super conscious that that's happening at the time, but it's just our survival response. Like we got to do this. I'll, I'll figure it out along the way. Um, but in answer to your question of the practical things that I did, I mean, I think from the, the, the get go, I mean, I ordered a ton of books on Amazon because I didn't Mm. know, like, if you think about what you're fed, the information that you are fed, the input that's coming through your channels, the, the things that you are consuming, whether that be social media, whether that be books, magazines, and then opinions of friends, of family members, their belief systems that are, uh, just seem normal. I know just even being in the South, the culture of the South that feels like you're in this bubble where everybody thinks like this in reality, it's just the South. You told me one time that you learned at a young age not to go to the grocery store without oh, lipstick girl. and earrings. Yeah, Is that man. Right? Did I get that Don't right? Don't you leave that house without <laughs> your lipstick and earrings. And you better believe I still do it today. <laughs> I remember I remember having that conversation and you were like, because you're obviously from the West Coast. And it's like, wait, what? You guys yeah. literally like have to like, I have to put makeup I know. on to go to the grocery store. I'm like, uh, yeah, hello. I'm like, you don't right. go in your sweatpants. Girl, you don't know who you're going to see when you go out to the grocery store. So you better yeah. have your best face on now. Um, oh no, gosh, but it's like, I mean, it's good. just, that is, again, what you think is normal or what you've been taught. And so oftentimes you're not going to question that. So part of this journey for me was almost choosing a different type of consumption because I knew that like, if I was going to find myself, I had to start learning something new, start, start absorbing a different kind of mindset, a different kind of worldview, a different kind of perspective. And that for me came in the form of, I would say three different avenues, books, journaling and retreats or events. And those Hmm. three practical things that I did, like started reading all these self-help books like a Brene Brown or Robert Holden, starting to journal out just to create new awareness for myself. Like what were some of the thoughts that I was thinking? How did I see myself? Who did I identify myself as? I remember there was an exercise that I did one time and I can't remember who taught this to me. I think it was a yoga teacher at the time. I listed out, okay, who is Mary? But who is Mary from the place of roles? So like what roles did I play? I was a sister. I was a daughter. At the time I was a wife. I was a neighbor. You know, whatever that might look as far as your profession goes. And then it was who is Mary emotionally? 
And then who is Mariana essence soul level? And Hmm. after I did all that, the, the exercise was to go through and circle what was really true, not roles that I was playing, not things that I thought were good to put down on paper or that people had told me about myself. Like, Oh, Mary, you are a natural fill in the blank, you know, natural leader, natural, whatever. But what pieces of, of my identity were true on a soul level for me? Like, what did I resonate with that, that would be true no matter if I lived in France, if I woke up in America, if I was born in Africa, like what parts of me would be consistent Mm. and true no matter what circumstance I found myself in. And that was a really helpful step in realizing that oftentimes what we think of as our identity is constructed based on the suggestion of other people's opinion of what and how we should live our lives and isn't really our truest self. So that was kind of um, an invitation to begin to question that and to see, wow, I've been like operating under this false belief that this is somebody I am. And the reality is, is that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm the opposite sometimes even of what people think I am. Wow. I think that's so powerful what you said. Oftentimes our identity is constructed by what other people have said to us or about us. And I think this is obviously like this can be a really powerful tool in our lives that also can be dangerous that the words people speak to us and about us are really, really powerful in the way that we Mm -hmm. shape how we see ourselves in the world. And I also love that you talked about journaling as a tool. Um, I'm biased because this is what we do at Find Your Voice, but I I love that you talked about journaling as a tool to reshape the way you see yourself in the world. It puts you in touch with the thoughts that are already going on in your mind. And it also helps you to to yeah. rewrite the narrative. The you know, if you've been told your whole life you're you're difficult, you know, um, you're rebellious, you're bossy, whatever it is, you can rewrite the narrative and decide, I'm strong, mm-hmm. I'm a leader, yeah. I know what I want. I'm not bullied into backing down, that kind of thing. Totally. It's just a, a way that we can use the power of the written word to help reshape how well, we see ourselves. Well, and I think that to go even a level deeper is there's nothing that creates awareness to me like writing. So a lot of what I did early on, I mean, I have journals and journals and journals of this would be to map out my limiting beliefs. What were the things that I was thinking and believing and operating from that weren't even true or that I wouldn't want to be true? And I think it's really hard to do this on the fly. Like there's something magical, I know you would agree, about seeing it on paper and it activates that different part of the brain so that for me, it was like, this part that was unconscious that I was sort of like in reaction mode to in my brain, these limiting beliefs, these, this worldview, this come from all of a sudden when I saw it on paper, it was like, Whoa, now I can see how there are so many choices that I've made that were only made because I believed this certain thing, but I don't even want to believe that certain thing anymore. Or that certain thing that I've been believing isn't, um, isn't even true, but isn't, isn't serving me. And it wasn't until I kind of brought it from my unconscious mind to my conscious mind by writing it out, by seeing it, that it gave me the opportunity to shift it, to change it into like what, what, what you were saying is to write a new narrative, to write a new story. And I mean, I did that over and over and over and over again, um, through the years and continue to do it even now. And it's so powerful to just see it like 
taking the glasses off and seeing it so soberly, honestly, right there in front of your face so that you can shift it and actually do something with it. It's so powerful. You you are the one who taught me how to do this. You know, like I mentioned before, we met in this really vulnerable time in both of our lives when everything was shifting really dramatically. And I, I mean, I remember um, meeting you and just being really taken with the way that you were using the raw materials of your life to to become who you wanted to be. Like, I, I just remember feeling a little bit in that season of my life, like, how have I gotten here? This, <laughs> this is not how my life was supposed to go. And, and you had a little bit of a different perspective, or maybe not a different perspective, but you just had a little bit more optimism about the same circumstance or similar circumstance that you were in. Um, that it was like, this is an opportunity for me to decide how I want my life to be. And I'm going to use that. You really had a huge impact in my life. I had always used writing as a tool to process through how I was feeling about things, but having the parameters around these writing prompts that you would start to give me played a huge role in my own personal healing. And then also a lot of the work that I do with clients now, the other thing, the next thing I would love to chat about with you is how this has become the work that you do with clients. You've worked with, you've worked as a life coach, I know, for long before even the divorce. But, um, but I really feel like this work that you did with yourself, the healing work, is has grown into the really powerful work that you do with clients. Do you? Would you agree with that? And can you talk a little bit about the work you do? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, I go into every coaching experience with my clients, believing that they each of them individually. And then of course, within our collective oneness, we all have the answers inside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We truly are incredibly resourceful and in, insanely wise. And I really respect my clients because I just trust their innate wisdom that they have inside of themselves. Now they may not trust that. And I get to be a beautiful mirror for them to help reflect back to them how how wise they are and how capable they are, how resourceful they are. But one of the things that I noticed, like I experienced this through my own journey, and now this is something that I love to work with my clients on, is that when we talk about identity and we think about the things that make up who we are and our personality and who we show up in the world as, to me, there is this, um, we, we end up adopting a belief that we are somehow flawed. Hmm. that we are not enough, that there is something wrong with us that needs fixing and that we have essentially kind of been cast out of the garden. And there's this exile in our mind that there's some, some way of separation. And so what I have found through working with my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients is that people's response to life, who they have constructed themselves to be, is really their best attempt to handle this belief inside of themselves that they believe that they are not enough. So it's almost like what I see happen all, all the time is how can I make myself lovable? How hmm. can I make myself pleasing to other people so that I will be accepted and that I will belong? And usually the jobs that we take, the way we show up in our jobs, how we show up in our relationships, our reactivity, our dysfunction, our coping, our numbing, our addictions are all in this attempt to try to prove our worthiness, try to prove that we are enough and that we're worthy of love. And 
I meet that with first and foremost, so much compassion. Just let everybody who's listening, just think about how that has to feel. Like if you were to able to pull back the curtain and really see it for what it is and notice like, wow, what would, what would it be like for somebody who was living their whole life to prove that they were lovable? Hmm. You know, what things might that person do, what what things they might agree to, what they might chase, what they might pursue, what they might do, who they would choose to be in a relationship with, how they would show up, you know, all these different facets of life. And just think about how exhausting that is, how that could create burnout and overwhelm and fear of rejection and anxiety and stress. So that's what I see oftentimes when my clients are walking in the door maybe they're crushing it and work. And yet there is this deep underbelly of like, I'm not good enough. I'm a fraud. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve goodness to be happy, whatever. And through coaching them and through journaling and through creating new levels of awareness, like I feel like my role as a coach is to continually point people back home to themselves and to their lovability. And my personal belief is that we are lovable just because Mm. we breathe that that's not conditional. Like we can't earn love and we cannot lose it that we were just as lovable when we were born a little baby who did nothing, but you know, goes to the, goes to the bathroom, screams, cries, eats, has just as much value as my adult self right now contributing to the world in a different way. Mm. My lovability is not on the line. Like it's not open for negotiation And now imagine what that would feel like to operate from that place, from that sense of worthiness, of enoughness. And and to me, there's so many ways to get at that, you know, through a coaching experience. But that's my goal is to help people remember who they really are. So beautiful. Okay. So if there's someone listening right now, I'm imagining there probably are many people listening right now who are recognizing themselves and what you're saying. And even, you know, I'm, I have done a lot of this work and there's still plenty more work to do realizing the ways that we hustle for our own worthiness. But maybe there's someone listening who's thinking like, I recognize myself and what you're saying. I'm really fighting hard to gain approval and worthiness and to feel like I'm enough in the world. But you don't understand if I stopped fighting, if I stopped working so hard, my life would be a disaster. Everything would fall apart. You you don't mm-hmm. even want to think about how, how terrible that would be. Can you talk a little bit about the transformation that you see your clients have? Because I think it would surprise people to hear that although sometimes there's there's a loss of some things that there's always a gain of something greater on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that you're so right. And I remember feeling that way. It was like, I am not exactly sure what this transformation is going to cost me. (laughs) And is it going to be worth it? You know, like that old saying is the juice worth the squeeze. (laughs) And you know, oftentimes when you look at it, the default answer is, you know what, this might be stressful and exhausting, but I'm just going to hang here because at least I know it. And there is the feeling like I can control it. Sure. And oftentimes we don't change because we are in a um, dysfunctional way. And I say that in love, we are able to make it work and it's dysfunctional and there's, there's things that are being neglected and all of that, but at least we know it, you know, it's sort of like, in it, it's comfortable, it's familiar, and it's easy in the sense that 
All right. We've got, we've got our nice grip on it and we are squeezing it to death, but it makes <sighs> us feel like we've got some say over it. You yeah. Know? So I, I just want to, empathize with that because I think that's really real and y'all it's scary like I don't want to paint the picture that it's like I think sometimes on social media people are like live your best life ever just do (laughs) a b and c you know or like two weeks to your best life ever and I'm like oh man that's such a false (laughs) false hope you know like false advertising but what I do know and what I can say with just the most confidence is that there is a level of freedom on the other side that is absolutely attainable. Mm. And so I think the transformation process is, it's slow and rightly so. Because there is, if you think about your undoing so much of this programming so much of this survival mode. And to me, sort of the first step that I see my clients walk through is this moment of awakening Hmm. where it's sort of like the light bulb goes, goes on and they recognize all of a sudden that even though they've been surviving, they're actually in a lot of pain. It's not actually working. And you have to have that moment of sort of the lights get flipped on. So that to me sort of is the first stage Then the second stage is where they become more aware. And this is where in the process, and this is a lot of what the coaching experience is centered around, is becoming aware of those thoughts and those patterns and those behaviors and those habits and just sort of that thinking. You have to become aware of it because then you have the power to change it. From there, you can go to a place of alignment let me figure out, okay, what is going to be my true self? Who am I really? Identifying your true voice, finding that voice, deciding, mm-hmm. oh, okay, now I see what's happening. Now I've become aware. Now I want to get aligned with my soul's mission, with my truest self. And then from there, you can anchor into that in profound ways. And then that's where you begin living congruently through the embodiment practice of living out of that alignment, now you're really anchored. And to me, from that place, that is where you step into being fully alive. And you are able to be present, conscious, Mm. you know, kind of tapped into what's really real. And that's where I experience my clients feeling that joy, feeling that fulfillment, feeling that inspiration and and desire all the way back on because they're alive now. They're not just numbing and sleepwalking and coping. They've, they've been awake. They've become aware they've aligned, they've anchored, and now they can become alive. It really does. It connects you with this resilient, powerful, fearless part of yourself. I'll speak from personal experience where when I feel the threat of something quote unquote bad happening in my life now, whereas it used to feel like every Every time I turned a corner, I was like, oh no, what if I run out of money or what if this happens or what if this person, you know, doesn't want to spend time with me anymore? What if so-and-so breaks up with me or whatever? And now it's like when I think about something quote unquote bad happening, I feel a relative fearlessness because I know I'm in touch with my own 
power. And again, it's not yeah. like you don't ever reach a point of perfect healing. There's always more work to do. But I think you walking through those stages, the awakening feels really brutal and awful. And then mm-hmm. the awareness is like this slow process of cultivating, like opening your eyes to what is real and sort of like a what kind of world am I living in? And then alignment is when you really start to feel powerful, I think. Yes. For me, that was when I really start to feel like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I can create positive change in my own life yes. and I have control over my own destiny. And I can't control everything, but I can control so many things. And you know, the number one thing is I can control my perspective on all of this. And then that feeling of aliveness is just like, you know what? Take anything from me. You can't touch me if you tried. Yeah. I'm really glad you articulated that. I think sort of in the self-help world, you get a little bit of like, have a positive mindset and you can get a brand new Mercedes, yeah. you know, which is fine. I know that there is really power in positive manifestation and I've seen that to be true in my life. But if you get a new Mercedes and you don't ever get to that place where you feel fully alive in your own body, then that Mercedes can come and go or whatever, fill in the blank thing right. as you want. It might be a baby or a, or a spouse or a whatever. And and you always, even when you have it, you feel afraid of it going away. Mm-hmm. And that aliveness, the connection to your own soul is so satisfying. It is. <laughs> I get emotional just thinking about it, that you're like, you know what? Do whatever you want to me. You can't even touch me because nothing is going to stop me from being who I am in the world. Well, and I think you mentioned like the resilience piece because I, I tell my clients all the time, it's not that you're not going to have hard days anymore. It's not that you're going to get triggered. And things are going to show up that are just challenging and, and situations present themselves. You go, wow. <laughs> okay. Well, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what to do here. Or I feel out of my element or, oh my God, I can't do this. It's like, there's that, the, those moments that feel really scary, you know, or even trauma that hits, you know, and yet there is this, this confidence that you develop through this process of knowing you can get through it. You've, you've developed that muscle of resilience enough to where you go, this is really hard. And yet I have tools now that I didn't have before that I can bring in. And I know that kind of like you, what you were saying, Allie, that, that my perspective of this is everything. And so I know how to use my mind and my thoughts to my advantage. I know how I can now sit in my feelings and experience them and let myself feel the sadness or the fear or the grief or whatever it is that's showing up and yet also be able to move through it and not be paralyzed by it. And so it is, it's, sure. it's really having that sense of power of like, it, it is hard, but I can do hard things. And yeah. that kind of confidence, like that has been my mantra, I can do hard things, like has allowed me to go through immense trauma through the past, I mean, not really like a decade, but, you know, very intensely in the past few yeah. years and come out the other side. And it's like, oh my God, I still have my life. I still, you know, mm-hmm. nothing has, has completely fallen apart to the point where I can't recover from it. And I've been able to have these moments of peace and joy along the way. And that is the gift. It's like, I have this, this secret power now of going through this. That is my own strength, my own resilience and my own just willingness to be present for what life has for me, no matter what it is. I'm taking a quick pause from this episode to ask you, a small favor. What I'd love to do is offer this podcast as a service to you without the interruption of outside ads. I don't know about you, but nothing is more frustrating to me than when I'm listening to a podcast I love, I'm super engaged, and then the episode is interrupted with a product or services I'm simply not interested in. 
So in my perfect world, I'd like to keep the Find Your Voice podcast 100% ad-free and instead offer you only help, encouragement, inspiration, and lots of opportunities to get more writing done. But I can't do that without your help. So would you do me a quick favor and take a minute, wherever you're listening to this podcast, to pause, subscribe, rate, and review what you're hearing. This is not only a huge help to us as we try to get the word out about this show. I don't think most listeners realize what a huge help it is to have new subscribers, ratings, and reviews, but also it will only take you a few minutes and you'll make sure that you never miss a new episode. So if you love what you're hearing so far and you want more of it, stop right now and go subscribe, rate, and review the Find Your Voice podcast. And as a thank you for helping us out with this quick favor, we'd love to offer one lucky winner some brand new, exclusive, and unreleased Find Your Voice merch. So all you have to do is screenshot your review, send it to us at hello at findyourvoice.com, and we'll pick one lucky winner to get a generous package of our brand new merch. I'm talking about coffee cups that say, don't talk to me, I'm writing, a hat that says, ask me about my book idea, and so much more. So please take a quick minute to do this for us. Send us a screenshot and we'll be so grateful. Okay, back to the show. I want to make sure we save a little bit of time to talk about hypnotherapy because, I mean, sort of selfishly, because I'm so fascinated by this concept. Yeah. You're really the one who's introduced me to this, but it matches so much of the brain science that I've read and that we talk about here all the time when we encourage people to start a regular practice of writing just as a a means of personal growth. So can you kind of give us the, the like high level two minute version of what hypnotherapy is and how you use it with your clients and just how powerful it can be? Yeah. So hypnotherapy, I think the the misperception is that hypnotherapy is where, you know, somebody goes up on stage and somebody essentially brainwashes you and makes you do stupid things like act like a chicken or take your clothes off in front of people <laughs> and you don't know it's happening. And then they say, one, two, three, wake up. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know I did any of that, you know? <laughs> um, and I think that that is the fear oftentimes that people have. And the reality is, is that the, the, the mind is so powerful and we have a subconscious mind, a mind that is sort of like our operating system that is running behind the scenes 24 seven. And that is where we are making our decisions from, not necessarily from our conscious mind. I think that's the, the, the goal and the awareness, but our unconscious mind is where we create beliefs. We create systems and patterns. We have an emotional response to um, what is happening from a reactive place. And so it's this operating system that is sort of running behind the scenes. And it's almost like those voices in the background. And so if you think about a computer, if you change the program, so for example, like um, let's say I'm on a Mac computer and I'm operating from the OS version 10. And it has all the programs, all the codes aligned in there. And that's going to show me what I see in my screen. It's going to make my web browser look a certain way. It's going to help me store files in a certain way. The colors are are designed and the images are designed in a specific way. Now, when I update that software to OS 11, all of a sudden, my web browser looks different. My graphics, the colors are different. Maybe it looks fresher, newer, all of that. And it's a little bit different. 
And so to me, that is really what our mind is for. We can actually update the program. And so that we begin (laughs) to see things operating as they should at their optimal level with high capacity for downloading, uploading, organizing files, all of that. So that's kind of how I like to think of our brain. So hypnosis is, is, is helping the mind get to a receptive state where you can create sort of a program update. And so what I like to think is, it's, you know, it's not making people do what they don't want to do. It's not manipulation. It's not mind control. It's not brainwashing. It is where you help people access that internal wisdom that they already have. Hmm. So the unconscious mind has all the answers all the answers that you would ever need to know is it has association patterns. Try not to get too sciencey here, but it's all of the answers lie within the unconscious mind. So hypnosis is like for me, like what I will do with my clients is I will lead them through a series of questions, a series of visualizations to help them resource what is already there. Hmm. So I'll kind of put this in like um, a tangible explanation. Sure. So there's, and there's different ways. I mean, the idea is basically you're trying to bypass the critical factor. Yeah. So what happens is, is like, for example, if I asked Allie, if I asked you a question, I'd say like, what is it that you're really afraid of? Your mind, your critical mind, your conscious mind is going to go to work to find the answer. Yeah. And the reality is, is that that fear is actually a somatic unconscious feeling, sensation, experience that your rational critical mind can't really speak to. And so, for example, on talk therapy or when you're just talking to people, it's it's not getting to the root of what's happening. Yeah, It's trying to like overanalyze. It's trying to use critical factor. And a lot of our trauma, a lot of our emotions, you cannot get to it through just thinking about something. Which is one of the incredible things about, you, talk, you touched on this earlier, but when you start to write things down, it accesses that different part of your brain. Yes, exactly. And especially when you're free writing, when you can disconnect from that prefrontal cortex and that critical part of your brain that wants to try to find the right answer, then you actually start to translate some of those somatic sensations into words. You're pulling those visual images up from your the lower part of your brain as you give them words, you're actually pulling them into your, the conscious part of your brain right. where you can sit back and analyze them and pay attention to them. So then it just gives you this control. Totally. It's almost like you can't go from conscious and try to access the unconscious, but you can pull the unconscious up to the conscious. Yes. So it's like yep. it doesn't go both ways. It comes from the unconscious and comes up to the conscious. The, the critical factor of the brain, it's like that's the gatekeeper that's the doubt. That's the disbelief. That's what's keeping us from changing. And so we, it's almost like the gate is locked. We can't go through that way. Yeah. So if we can bypass that, and that's what hypnosis does, it bypasses their critical mind and goes straight into stimulating the unconscious. And there are all kinds of different ways to do this. My favorite, I mean, you can do all kinds of like word associations and different questions, but I think visualization is really powerful. Yeah. So I will help guide my clients into visualizing a a scene or scenario, just almost like just using their imagination. So they're completely awake. They're completely aware. They're not unconscious of what is happening. Like they're sitting in a chair or the way I do it is on, on Zoom. 
fully conscious, but their brain is going into an imaginative state, a unconscious state. And so they're pulling out imagery and then we can make an association. I wonder what that blue truck in your imagination has to say about helping you feel more alive. Hmm. And then all of a sudden the unconscious mind will attempt to find an association and it actually is the real answer Wow! because it's not like critically thinking about it. It's like using pictures and images to resource, to find a new resources within the imagination and unconscious that then gives you the answer that, wow. that, that they're really looking for. You're guiding people. You're like a Sherpa through their unconscious mind, which which I think is such a huge asset because one of the reasons why so many of us don't walk the path of healing is because dropping into our unconscious mind is terrifying. Our limbic system, our unconscious mind is where we store trauma. So we store it in that part of our brain and then we, you know, try to forget about it in our conscious brain, the part of our brain we're using during most of the day. And we think that we've forgotten about it or we think that it's in the past and, you know, that's, we don't even have to focus on that anymore. We're just moving forward and thinking about the future, but it's always there. It's always lurking and it's always impacting the daily decisions that were mum. So I think that's why we're intuitively terrified to drop into that part of our brain. It's why people resist the process of writing. And it could be so life-changing and helpful for someone to have a guide like you who's like, I'm going to help you walk into this part of your brain that feels really terrifying. And I'm going to show you that there are actually no monsters in the closet, that actually this part of your brain holds the secret, the key that's going to unlock the truest and most powerful version of you. Totally. Well, and I think it, to me, what it, what happens is, is people begin to realize they are not their thoughts. Hmm. They are not their emotions. Like those are things that they think the sentences in my head are the thoughts that I'm thinking are the, the feelings I'm experiencing. The vibration of this feels like, and so it's almost like there can be a healthy way of creating a little bit of distance yep. so that the trauma isn't who you are. It's just something you've experienced, experienced. And then therefore you can take that and reassociate it to something that is less painful. You know, you can get through really difficult memories. Um, you can find solutions and answers that you didn't even know you mm. had already. It's really powerful, but it is really nice to have a guide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. Just, you know, just at the beginning, I think to have that is, is super helpful. Amazing. Okay. Two more questions to wrap up. The first one, they really both have to do with this idea that words are the most powerful way to produce positive change in the world. So as you think about words that have had an impact on you, is there a book or a person who comes to mind whose words have had a positive change in your life? Yes, absolutely. I would say the one that has just been the constant, like keep showing up, have read it five or six times by now, is a book called Lovability. I knew you were going to suggest this book. It's such a good one. You did? Yeah. You turned me onto the book. It's so good. Uh, I make every client that I have read it. So it's called Lovability by Robert Holden. I just finished a six-month love-centered coaching mastermind with him and got to spend some time with him in London. He is a phenomenal writer, but he is just an expert on love, how to love and be loved. And I adore him. He is precious and brilliant. And so I would highly recommend really anything that he's written, but in particular, lovability. So good. And as you think about 
words that you would want to leave behind in your life if you had to put your legacy into a sentence or two? Just the words that you want to leave behind in the world. What would you say those are? I think if I could sum it up in a sentence, it would be you are lovable just because you breathe. You do not have to earn love. You cannot lose love. You are lovable. So good. To me, that's it. It's like if I can do anything on this planet to point people back to their own lovability, then my life has been well spent. I I like to say that I want love to be the defining characteristic of my life. So good. Well, you definitely have been that for me. And I know for so many others, Mary, you're, you're a warrior and you're one of the women I admire most in the world. So I know you have different ways that people can connect with you and I'll I'll make sure to link to all of these in the show notes, but I really want to make sure that people who are listening have a way to engage with your content. So I'm doing, so I've transitioned to have a podcast every week and it's called the living fully alive podcast. It's amazing. Everyone, by the way, you should, she just did a whole series on money mindset, which is blowing my mind. So whatever you're doing right now, while you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you should search living fully alive and find yeah, Mary subscribe to and it. To and you know, it's all around living fully alive. So it's all of these mindset things that we're talking about. So that comes out every week. And then I also uh, have a guided meditation that I provide on YouTube on my YouTube channel. But if you just go to Mary Hyatt.com, then you can find all of these resources, my Instagram page, all the ways to connect with me and stay up to date. So Mary Hyatt.com, I think is the best, best place to find me. And everyone listening, I am really working to get Mary to write a book because I want her to just record all of these incredible thoughts in a a form that you could go to your bookstore and pick up. So (laughs) if you want to see a book from Mary Hyatt, go follow her on Instagram, follow her YouTube channel, subscribe to her podcast, all the things, and we'll just flood her with lots of love and that will motivate her. I love it. Nothing like public accountability. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's on, it's on my goal list. It was the first goal that I wrote for 2020. So it's it's on the list. It's happening. It is happening. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time, for sharing all of your wisdom with us. We're really grateful. You're so welcome. Love you so much. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.